0: is looking at you, kid.
1: I'm Charles Foster King! Hey, Stella!
0: Suck on this. What is going on, everybody? This is Wrong Real, episode 504. It's a podcast for hardcore cinephiles where we tackle everything from Jean-Luc Godard to Jean-Luc Picard. And today we're tackling the world of science fiction as well as the filmography of Lucio Fulci, courtesy of our guest, Andrew Hawkins, a.k.a. Hawk the Slayer, as we have uh, renamed him, (laughs) who is the associate producer on the new documentary In Search of Tomorrow, which is now currently in the middle of its Kickstarter campaign. And they were kind enough to bring me on board as an affiliate to help uh, raise awareness and raise a little cash. So, Andrew, it is a pleasure and privilege to have you here. I know we've got a ton of mutual friends like Dan and Bradley, so I I guess this is long overdue, but welcome to Wrong Reel.
1: James, thank you for having me on. It's an honor and a pleasure, and I'm having a blast already. This is great. Yeah, I can't
0: believe it's taken us this long to get connected because we really hadn't spoken until you reached out recently, or if we had spoken in the past, I wasn't aware of it. We might have like had some uh, some some near misses on Twitter.
1: I think some Follow Fridays things like that. Yeah, yeah
0: like, but how do you know about uh, how do you know Dan and Brad, and how how are you connected to this whole podcasting film commentary community?
1: Yeah, I think the way that I got brought into the um, specific layer of film twitter that i guess uh we're all a part of uh really came from a show that i did with a former co-host of mine for the show freaky fandoms that i've been doing for a few years where we focused on uh shinya sukamoto's tetsuo the iron man nice and also talked about you know some other uh films of his i think vital got brought up uh gemini um I don't know, probably uh, some Tokyo Fist, you know, uh, Snake of Gene, some of the best. But uh, I could go on about Sukamoto all day. Uh, That wound up getting the attention of Bradley J. Cornish and Dan Pullen. They both started chatting with us. And uh, I wound up guesting on a couple of their shows for Four Brains and Movie and Dinner with Lynch. And then we wound up sort of with them launching 26 Movies from Hell And I did that for a good while until I wound up getting further and further down the rabbit hole of producing films where my availability became less and less and crazier and crazier. Uh but actually I'm gonna be joining them here pretty soon again coming up for a great film that we'll be discussing. We'll be talking about Little Otik nice. by Jan Svankmeyer. Yeah, yeah. I tackled yeah. that
0: with Martin Kessler, Jordan. Like Igar. I think it was something about it was like a like a fantasy and folklore Halloween themed episode this past fall. But yeah, Little Otik is killer. I
1: love it. Yeah, yeah. And uh what, what it's been has just been uh a couple of years of, you know, knowing you, knowing uh Kessler, knowing Oh geez, so many, so many people—Bill Scurry, uh, Marcus Penn—it's the, it's the whole gang, you know. So I'm sure uh, over the last couple of years, uh, back and forth, there have been a few comments and posts here and there where we've crossed paths. But like I said, you know, being on is something that I'm really happy to uh, definitely be here.
0: Well, you mentioned you're transitioning into more producing. Let's talk about what you're producing right now. So, in search of yeah. tomorrow. I saw this trailer for the first time, I guess, two days ago, and I think I've watched it about ten times since then, and uh, gave me a bunch of chills, put a huge smile on my face, showed it to my lady friend. She was like, wow, like this looks really fun. I was like, yes, like, it looks fun. Like So many movies failed to achieve that very basic thing. <laughs> but, like This looks fucking awesome. So tell us all about and Search for Tomorrow, your involvement, etc.
1: I've seen things you
0: people wouldn't believe.
1: What's going to happen? Something wonderful. Logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one.
0: Can you say E.T.? E-T. E-T. All those moments will be lost in time like tears in rain. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. What would you little maniacs like to do first? Shall we play a game? It's time to start running! Listen. Call me Snake. Do!
1: No. Oh do not. There is no try.
0: I can handle myself. Yeah, I noticed. Here we go. Let's party. That are alive, you are coming with me. It doesn't feel pity, or remorse, or fear. It's overdrive. If it bleeds, we can kill it. A sleeper has awakened. I'm the best chance you've got.
1: Yes, so I am an associate producer on In Search of Tomorrow. Uh, We are putting together a film that celebrates everything 80s sci-fi. It's a huge retrospective and community awesome film that's coming together. We've got such a great cast list of already 50 announced. We, We have, I think, 10 to 20 more in the pipeline. It's just one of the biggest films I've ever been a part of because... It falls in with that wave of marathon documentaries that have been coming out over the last handful of years. I think one of the first ones of this length talking about the four to five-hour range was the Nightmare on Elm Street, Never Sleep Again, followed by the Friday the 13th uh, Crystal Lake Memories documentaries. And these you know, docs at that length have to be in depth. And with what we've done so far – before In Search of Tomorrow with In Search of Darkness, we did that. We pulled it off to make the most successful independent horror documentary ever made. And it's been crazy just to ride that high and then take it to the next step where we're refocusing on another genre that I know I grew up with absolutely loving. You did. So many of us have this built into our love for cinema. So we're exploring that. We're doing a huge doc covering the entire spectrum of 80s sci-fi and it's exciting and it's you know awesome to hear that the trailer was something that you, you really dug because I well, love hearing like, that. It
0: starts with a lot of the obvious choices like all right we're gonna see some Blade Runner we're gonna see some Wrath of Khan we're gonna see some Empire Strikes Back but then it starts oh, yeah, to really hitters. hardcore deep cuts so I was like ooh, this is going to be a true deep dive for the uh, into some of the undiscovered gems but as I was watching I was starting to realize as much as I enjoyed watching so many of these as a kid in the 80s a lot of these movies, I actually like them more now. When I just where I start to appreciate just how special that era was, and just how I mean, some of these years like 1982, people have been talking about at length for a long time. Where where you start to look at this laundry list of um, sci-fi, fantasy, and horror classics that were coming out at the time, and maybe we didn't appreciate how good we had it, or maybe now we appreciate it more than ever, and it can serve as an example for film fans and film filmmakers going into the future. I mean, science fiction, there's no other decade that compares to the 80s when it comes to sci-fi horror or sci-fi action or just highbrow sci-fi, whatever the case might be. And so I just, uh, I guess the older I I get, the more I appreciate that it was just a true golden age for the genre where some of the best filmmakers on the planet, from David Lynch to Steven Spielberg to Ridley Scott to, I mean, you you name it, Paul Verhoeven, the best and brightest in the world of movies, were at least taking a stab at science fiction.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned it uh, while we're talking right now. Uh, we just had a huge cast announcement that we have Joe Dante on board as well to Hell talk yeah. about Explorers and interspace which are two of the biggest ones I grew up with. But, you know, we go across the board. It's not just the biggest names. It's also the deep-cut guys that we love, like Roger Corman, like John Charlie Band. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in the 70s, we had so many smart people. Visions of the future that what that transitioned into for the '80s became some of the most entertaining films ever made. So it's just a, a great honor to be able to you know bring all that together under one roof and present it to everyone so we can all enjoy it and celebrate it.
0: But what I was going to say when it comes to my podcast and with the uh, with the YouTube channel, what I always try to remind myself is that while a lot of these movies might seem familiar and tired to a lot of us, or maybe we've talked them to death, there are like 17-year-old kids out there right now who are just starting to become aware of old movies and are just starting to get curious. And so documentaries like In Search of Tomorrow provide a, a perfect roadmap. So they're not having to dig through a bunch of different magazines and books and things like that, trying to figure out like, what are the essentials that I need to see? You're just taking them by the hand and saying, yeah, this, here's this ocean of content. This is a library of classic movies. And you're just inviting them in and I feel like it's one of those things where the more kind of jaded and cynical we get as we get older, we have to always remember that there are people out there who are getting into this into this stuff for the first time and try to see it through their eyes as well. And I, whenever I watch an old movie with like a niece or a nephew or a little brother and I see them having a really positive response, it helps me kind of fall in love with the material all over again. I watched Empire Strikes Back recently with my three-year-old niece, a four-year-old nephew and a five-year-old niece, and they were just all in and totally confused but just so excited and so stimulated i was like yeah i was like i'm having like the most fun i've had like watching empire strikes back in a long time because i could just see like this like electricity running through their veins
1: yeah yeah and you know that's a big part of it too because guys like us you know we're in the range where we grew up and it was a part of our daily videotapes and cable and going to the theater But people growing up right now who are just coming of age like we were during the time that these films were actually coming out, they have a different perspective. They are not going to look at them and see, okay, well, this obviously looks like a knockoff of this movie and therefore it's not good. It's a kind of a broader sort of perspective that's completely changed where if it's an entertaining movie, it's an entertaining movie and if it's sluggish and it doesn't have any kind of engagement, then it's going to be kind of passed over. Uh, and the, the language of film has changed. You know, There's different editing techniques. There's whole different spectrums of visual effects and optical effects and things that have really ingrained themselves into people who've been growing up for the last 15, 20 years. But still, even then, sometimes you can look at certain films and say, oh, that's kind of quaint and antiquated. Or you can look at it and go, oh my god, these practical effects are absolutely ridiculous. I love this. It's a nonstop, mile a minute, just joy, you know.
0: Well, What I try to avoid with a lot of these movies from the 80s is being... Too nostalgia. I feel like too too much nostalgia can be a, a dangerous trap where it's just people talking about <laughs> their memories of what it was like to watch these when they were a kid, and I feel like you're 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 going to alienate anybody out there who's fifteen twenty years old who doesn't feel that nostalgia. Like I yeah. like when I'm talking about Predator or Aliens or Robocop. I want to remind people like these movies are alive and well and give you a jolt that a lot of movies today don't give you. And you almost Mm -hmm. don't even need to tell them what year it came out. If you sit down a bunch of 10-year-old kids today and show them Predator and don't tell them it's a 33-year-old movie, I have a feeling it's going to knock them on their ass then and there. And so I feel like a lot of these movies are more relevant than ever. Once you get, when when talking about the power of practical effects or the power of the performances or just the different styles of storytelling. And so I just think y'all are doing some very important good work by just helping a whole new generation discover these. And obviously I think when it comes to your backers, you probably have a lot of, you know, silver foxes like myself who are obviously <laughs> getting on board, but let's talk a little bit about the campaign and Yeah, some yeah. of the, uh, some of the rewards and so on and so forth. Like what, what is going on with this campaign in terms of some, say somebody just wants to get the t-shirt, get the Blu-ray, see the movie. Like what what are, what are you guys offering?
1: Yeah, so we have different tiers for backers. We have it set up so you can go in and you can donate. You can go in and you can get the digital copy if you want to get a Blu-ray, if you want to get a DVD, if you want to get a T-shirt, if you want to get a poster, if you want to get a pin. We have all of those different selections available. So you can get physical copies, you can get the different merchandise and different items that we've got out there. If you want to wear one of our awesome posters on your shirt and sport the In Search of Tomorrow logo. If you want to go beyond that, you can go for credit too, where you get listed in the cast and crew at the end credits for associate producer, executive producer. It's all built in to however... Deep you want to go with this? Yeah, I've seen that you have two
0: people who have taken the Ellen Ripley producer credit at two out of the ten yeah. that are available, but nobody's taken the deep dive yet with the Luke Skywalker executive producer credit, and they're the, the yep. five out of five available. But yeah, if it's for four. I don't know if the exchange rate is right now, but for 4,800 pounds, you can be an executive producer on the film. I, I will acknowledge that I'm drinking the, the Kool-Aid, or I'm practicing when I preach. I decided to grab a um, a Rick Deckard credit with an associate producer. Yeah, I was going to ask if
1: you went for Rick Deckard. That's awesome. Yeah, I,
0: I couldn't resist. I was like, you know what? This is a great <laughs> way to flesh out your IMDb profile. So I, I'm going all in, and it gives me a chance to to attend one of the screenings. So I just yeah. it's just a project that I, I really believe in. But when it comes to the producers, what really sold me was uh, that amazing pitch that Robin made in our first conference call on Zoom. It was me, you, and Robin. And Robin just laid out his vision for the film. And yeah, Robin, he's a, he, he's a really cool, interesting producer because there are people out there who are just die-hard science fiction freaks and movie freaks, and they kind of talk like movie freaks. But Robin, obviously, he comes at it with with his producer hat on. But I love this mm-hmm. idea of like building a community and trying to wrangle all these various communities and kind of link them all together. And you know, Twi- film Twitter has so many little separate little pocket communities that are obsessed. But I like the idea that you're hosting these Discord screenings and these Q and A's and things like that, where everybody can come in and hang out. And with Wrong Real, over the last couple of years, we've slowly but surely been trying to grow our circle of friends and contacts and that sort of thing. And with Robin, I could just tell like, he was embracing the same philosophy. Let's try to throw out a giant fishnet and bring all these freaks in and get them ranting and raving about science fiction. And so it'll be a relationship and a community that lasts beyond the movie.
1: Yeah, and what's going on right now is... You know, even after this campaign's over, which right now it's on day two and soon it'll be into its third week around May 17th is the final day to pledge for now until we come back later on in the year. But the community that's already been developed is active and sharing their favorite films and talking about Deep cuts and just going off every day and every Sunday What we do is we have a watch party where we all get together with a couple of special guests You just sat in on the one with the blob that oh, we had ton a last doing yeah Yeah, with Chet Czar who worked on the film With Tony Gardner in the effects shop talking to us all about the different practical effects and the stuff He set up for the movie, which was a total blast also but like that coming like, up,
0: 19 working on this movie yeah And he admitted how like sometimes late night they would work on night and they would just screw it. Let's take ecstasy and let's keep working and keep making special effects. I was like, (laughs) wow, like this sounds like my kind of filmmaking. This is like, this is rock and roll, sex, drugs and rock and roll. But instead you're just making these like deliriously cool horror movies.
1: Yeah. And you know, what you get is what you see on screen. So it worked him and the whole team go until 10 in the morning after being up for two days, getting the effects for like the projectionist hanging from the ceiling done. And then little Eddie in the sewers who does one of the best jump scares that I can think of off the top of my head in any film. Um, but yeah, we have just a community that's constantly engaged. We're watching movies every Sunday. We're doing Aliens next. After that, we're doing Star Trek and Star Wars films. And then in the summer, we're going into more fun adventure cuts like Buckaroo Banzai and definitely, like I said, you know, digging into the uh, Joe Dante films. But then we'll go even deeper into stuff like Megaforce. Or space hunter adventures. Hal Needham, so, I just the a Hal
0: Needham episode on Wrong Real with Moose Metz and and yeah, Megaforce. Oh, I hadn't awesome. seen it since I was a, like a little little kid. And when I was a little kid, I was like, this is the best movie ever. And I remember it was like advertising comics and <laughs> sort is. of thing. Now, yeah. are there any hardcore obscure deep cut classics where you're actively campaigning for them to get? more analysis or more recognition within the context of In Search of Tomorrow. Like, All right, guys, guys, we got four and a half hours. We can squeeze in five minutes on this special gem. Is there anything out there that you're having to like, kind of like wage a war on the movie's behalf?
1: Well, you know, I, I'm a hardcore Italian cinema guy. Uh, I'm also really a big fan of Japanese cinema and really just world cinema in general. Um, there are some, you know, deep cuts from like, oh, Charles Band and, uh, Empire Pictures that I really want to get big focus on. I mean, we all love robot jocks, but if you go a little bit deeper than that, there's Parasite, uh, there are some, uh, more obscure ones, but you know, I would say Battle Beyond the Stars isn't really that, that deep. One that I really, really push for is Gunhead. And that's a Japanese 1989 film that I believe was an adaptation from a video game that came out for the Famicom around that time. Just a really cool mech-armored sci-fi vehicle film that has some great effects from the time that wound up leading to stuff like what was done in the Zerum films, if you've seen those. And some other ones that I'm really pushing for are like, what we're going to be talking about today with Warriors of the Year 2072, the new Gladiators, there's also the new Barbarians, there's Hands of Steel, there's Endgame, which has one of the guys from 2072 in it, Al Cliver, uh, a full chief favorite of mine who's in Zombie and a ton of other stuff. But when it, when it comes to the list, it's broad from the top 80 that everyone knows to like the stuff that you really got to dig for and maybe think back to when you were going to the video store when you were a kid. Like, oh, I haven't seen that cover since 89? But yeah, yeah. There, there's there's a lot out there that I'm, I'm pushing for. Well, let's talk a
0: little bit about what was going on in Italy in the early 80s because I, 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 yeah. I share your affection for <laughs> Japanese genre cinema as well as <laughs> Italian genre cinema. And it seems like from like the late 50s to the early 80s, Both countries were really firing on all cylinders, and I I always love how, I mean, we talked, I mean, in the very last episode that we did, we're talking about Umberto Lenzi, how the Italians will never let a trend go to waste, and if there's a hit of any kind out there in any genre, they're going to do an unofficial sequel or a copycat film or an unofficial remake, whatever the case might be, but they leap on each and every trend. But in the early 80s, because of the popularity of some movies like Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior or Escape from mm-hmm. New York, you saw the Italians getting on board. And so whether you're talking about Enzo G. Castellari or Lucio Fulci or Ruggiero Deodato or Bruno Mattei, they were all taking a stab at, at, at this new craze for dystopian sci-fi. So do you have, before we get into um, New Gladiators, do you have any particular favorites from just the Italian wave of, uh, of dystopian sci-fi genre films?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, uh, you know, I'm a fan of uh, New Barbarians, and uh, that's another one that features Fred the Hammer Williamson, and it's also got uh, one of my favorite main Michele Soave guys, uh, who I'm blanking on his name right now, and it's killing me, but he shows up in that as well as another deep cut Endgame, which has that sort of Beginning uh, running man style opening, but then there's also the Bronx movies uh, Which are great cuts and uh, one that's a little bit dystopian, but also goes into really fun. Alien territory is Contamination uh, from Luigi Cozzi. So that's always a, a ridiculous one to enjoy the the genre that came from The incredible success of Escape from New York and The Road Warrior that just blew up in Italy needs more attention and needs more love. That's that's something that I I preach for sure. So
0: yeah, well, like in in our last episode, we were talking about Umberto Lenzi. I was asking uh, Patrick Bromley are you aware of any trend right now anywhere in the world where a country is going all in on low-budget genre films? Because I feel like while it sometimes takes decades to sift through the thousands of films that came out of Japan and Italy during this really rich period, it's only now where I feel like a lot of Western audiences are really appreciating them because they just weren't necessarily readily available beforehand. But do you see a trend going on in the modern age? Because I feel like Every era needs to have their obscure classics that are being made, but the only one that I could really think of, perhaps, would be that South Korea might be reassessed in a few decades, and people realize, oh, like, well, Parasite was an Oscar winner, but there was mm-hmm. so much more going on behind the scenes that we weren't necessarily appreciating at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the Vengeance trilogy is going to get bigger and bigger as time goes. Uh, there's a lot going on in South Korea right now, which leads to you know amazing thriller cinema and uh, great dramatic action films and just you know incredibly stylish captivating movies uh, What Bong Joon-ho has done is you know been? Historic so it's you know amazing there um, as for a specific country in the world that's sticking to genre cinema and going all in on it
0: like the French extremity movement 20 years ago I feel like was something yeah. similar to that where it was kind of art house but kind of not. And it's kind of sure. like it's kind of like a mix of like art house, porn, and horror, all kind of stirred together. Yeah. And I feel like <laughs> I, I think the French extremity movement will grow over time as well. But I feel like that's a little long in the tooth at this point because once again, like the really good ones were made like late '90s up through like 2007,
1: 2008. Yeah, yeah. The the Grand Guignol, the uh, 21st century. Totally, they they came out of the gate swinging with that decade. But uh, you're right. I mean, that's that's almost. 15, 20 years old. So yeah. that's not exactly a current wave that we're riding anymore. We kind of look back on that as a specific phase. In uh, in time.
0: Well, I'm still, I'm always thrilled to learn more about this Italian craze because, as I mentioned with Patrick Bromley, like the more these movies that I see, the more I realize that I'm only at the beginning of the journey. Like every time I think, all right, I'm starting to kind of get a handle on all the great Italian genre films from across like Western and sci fi and, you know, anything and everything. And I'm like, oh my God, there's like this ocean of content that still needs to be explored. So let's shift gears into Lucio Fulci's (laughs) New Gladiators. For people out there who have seen the beyond, and maybe they've seen like House by the Cemetery or City of the Living Dead, like tee up new gladiators. And uh, what what was going on in Lucio Fulci's career when he shifted gears out of these demonic zombie horror flicks into this new phase? I think it's going to be a pleasure. I run computers. And it doesn't matter to me if I analyze men or rock samples. You're in the hate business, Sarah. I can't understand why you people won't let
1: anyone show any mercy on worldwide TV. Oh, oh. What is this for? It's nothing, Drake. It just keeps track of how you are and where you are. This red light here is you, and the others are your competition. It comforts me to know that you haven't changed in seven years, Cortez. You're still a snake. you going to be the first to
0: fly. You thrilled to the savage intensity of hand-to-hand combat. Now you're in for another exceptional human contest. The fight to the Finnish chariot race. 20 perilous laps of no-holds-barred motorized conflict. Death is the penalty for a gladiator who leaves the track or refuses combat. Death will ride with every man as he fights for his life. Has Cortez ordered any other changes in the official program? Affirmative. What changes? All surviving gladiators to be dematerialized 20 minutes after end of games.
1: Well, this was early 80s. Uh, it was around, I think, 82 that this was in production in Rome. And this was produced by the same guys that had been working with him on stuff like For the Apocalypse and some of his more, uh, even, I think, uh, The Eroticist, uh, the the comedy film that he did. Uh, but his 70s output, you know, it wasn't all horror. Yeah, it was like contraband and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, he was uh, kind of shifting into what would eventually become the Gates of Hell trilogy, uh that, you know, we all know and love. Um I think Zombie came out just a couple of years before this. That was 79, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, Don't Torture a Duckling, uh, that had come out before. Like I think New York Ripper. So.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. New York Ripper yeah, I guess, yeah. was um maybe eighty one or eighty two, but I mean yeah, yeah I, I remember that
1: coming out around the same time as Maniac.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've got a, a New York Ripper came out in 1982, according to IMDb.
1: Okay, so so that was right before this dropped. Yeah, so then it was and, Manhattan uh, Baby,
0: then Conquest, which is a great out there yeah. for, for, for fantasy fans, followed by New Gladiators, or E.G. Guerrero dell'anno 2017. I don't speak Italian at all. So anyway, it's got a much more pretty elaborate Italian name.
1: Well, yeah, th- this had uh, like three or four international names. Uh, it was considered you know, to be uh, one of those that when it got brought over to the States, they just wanted to simplify it. They wanted to take out the Warriors in the year 2072 stuff and just market it. New Gladiators, boom, put it on the shelf. Um, and I think it was out uh, by media uh, on tape. And then it got uh, bought by Troma. Who wound up doing a DVD release? I don't remember if they do a VHS release on it. Yeah, but and I think
0: that's still the version that's most readily available. Like when I watched yeah. it on Amazon, it was the trauma like transfer from the early two thousands.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is you know just from the tape. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a little it's a little blurry. <laughs> yeah, it's a little it's, it, it, it ain't HD. Well, you know it's it's a really unique and very interesting film in that it has all of these elaborate sci-fi elements these insane miniatures combined with these gladiatorial centurion sequences that are straight up what would eventually lead to running man um, so Fulci wrote this with uh, some of his other folks like um, Dardano Sacchetti who wrote with him Manhattan baby and a handful of other films I believe that beyond as well. Yeah, one of the great and-
0: Italian genre screenwriters. Yeah. Oh, my
1: God. Like, then a I massive love... falling
0: out shortly after this. Like they, they had this incredible collaboration that lasted for many movies. <laughs> and then for reasons we get into at, toward the end of the conversation, but sadly they had a parting of the ways, and Lucio Fulci's career, I think, was greatly diminished post yeah. his association with Sacchetti.
1: Yeah, and I, I remember Sacchetti uh, uh, going over to the Argento side of the house yeah. and uh, eventually working with uh, Michele Soave, I believe, on La Chiesa. And uh, a couple of other ones, um, but yeah, every time I you know see him reflect on uh, this period, it's fascinating to me because some of the films that were written and produced and you know are out are uh, some of my favorite in you know all of film. I, I love like Stage Fright and uh, of course you know Cemetery man's one of my all-time favorites. Whether or not Sacchetti uh, was involved directly in that, he was still part of that whole huge Argento factory. Which so many of the greats, you know, from the best of the best down to the favorite deep cuts came from. But, uh, oh, and that that just reminded me, uh, George Eastman uh, is one of my favorite character actors from this whole era. You know, he's in Anthropophagus. Uh, he's in um, Warriors of the Wasteland, which is the one that I was uh, talking about that was in the states, remarketed as new barbarians. Yep. So, yeah, that that one, that one's a blast. I, I have a special uh, affinity for that one just because of how much it leans into the real uh, Mad Max stuff and how much Road Warrior it wants to be with it, just also being, you know, hilarious and ridiculous. But uh, here, Fulci went full on into dystopian futuristic sci-fi, and it was really the only time he ever did that.
0: Yeah, I guess with conquest it feels sometimes a little bit like sci-fi, but if you really look at it closely, it's it's hardcore like sword and sorcery. But it's got yeah, like lasers. That's what I was gonna say sword yeah. and
1: sorcery, barbarian yeah, but whenever you stuff. see
0: lasers, you start thinking, oh, are we into sci-fi? Is this like He-Man? Are we going into sci-fi or not? But with the, with the, with this flick, <laughs> is this Kroll
1: stuff. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like yeah. Well, crawl is a perfect example of a hybrid where it is a straight-up medieval fantasy environment that has been invaded by aliens. So I love the fact that it you can really quali- you can put it in either category if if you wish to, but I. I think that's, um... It's a it's a, a really obscure subgenre that so rarely gets explored when sci-fi and fantasy collide. Like this author R. Scott Backer has this great series of books that are it's seven books deep at this point, but it's a, your traditional medieval fantasy sword and sorcery environment where thousands of years ago this giant ship collided with the planet and the planet's just been all fucked up ever since. And every couple of centuries there'll be a big giant war between the remnants of the people on that ship versus the rest of the planet. But it, it's ripe with all sorts of interesting possibilities here. Krull's uh, one of the few Few examples of movies that I can think
1: of Yeah, yeah, and that that blend, you know, you're absolutely right. It's the foundation being the medieval fantasy But then you've got stormtrooper-esque runs around with lasers and blasting and intergalactic fantasy and it's wild, but um, yeah with uh, with this there isn't much fantasy particularly in the film. Except for like the armor that the, like, the
0: guys are wearing. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, like yeah. I mean, I love seeing cheap and expensive armor. Wouldn't it would remind me a little bit of almost like Night Riders, the uh, George a. Romero film, where is like it's a lot of yeah. motorcycles, a lot of armor, a lot of helmets, a lot of medieval weapons in a sci-fi setting. So you've got the guys with like the flashlight beams that can paralyze you and things like that. Yep. But in the end, this is gladiator combat because it, it is in Rome. And that, that's one of the things I really enjoyed is that on one hand, you got these miniature sets that are, you know, it's like this super, like this like super hardcore sci-fi environment. But every once in a while, guys on motorcycles would just ride by like the Spanish Steps, like these old school classic Roman landmarks. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I yeah. like seeing that interesting combination of flavors.
1: Yeah, the the vision of Rome twenty seventy two here is just awesome because you're absolutely right. It's got that element of the old, you know, gladiatorial games stuff, which is one of the reasons why I think. You know, Spartacus uh and all the stuff that came after that was a huge influence on this, along with Rollerball, which adds into the mix because we've got like poor man's James Conn starring in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Which I love. Drake as this main character that gets wrapped up into this whole plot. Same
0: look, it's like y'all just couldn't afford James Conn, but you really wanted James (laughs) Conn.
1: Yeah, Jared Martin, uh, he's someone I knew from mainly the War of the Worlds TV show that came out around the 80s. And uh, he was also in Westworld. They got him for this. Uh, They totally dressed him up like Discount James Caan. And it just, it, it cracks me up to no end because the way that his plot develops really makes me think a lot of, I think it's Stuart Gordon's Fortress. Gotcha. Yeah, where, you know, he winds up getting... Pulled into this containment prison with all of these criminals. And even the technology is a little bit similar, where you've got the guards putting up force fields. If you get out of line, you get tortured. Like there's the huge sequence in this where they all have to do uh, holding onto the bar above the electrified floor. That's my favorite scene of
0: the movie. I thought that was really cool and clever. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) put it in context, people out there have not seen it. All these gladiators are being punished, and they're they're being they're being forced to hang from pull-up bars while their hands are nice and sweaty and greasy, and the floor is electrified. So if you fall, you get fried. And one guy falls, and he's trying to first kind of like pull some on someone else, and they're like kick. He's like kicking them because you know obviously current travels. But finally, yeah. the, the two main heroes lean down, they scoop their arms under him, and they help pull up. And so basically, they're doing pull-ups while holding a guy between them, and so it's making it even more difficult. But it just was a full-blown Fred Williamson badass moment. Fred Williamson obviously did a lot of great exploitation flicks, but I love the fact oh, that yeah. he transitioned into all these hardcore Italian war films and hardcore Italian like, dystopian sci-fi flicks. He's just a, a true genre hero. And I think my favorite story about him is Tarantino talks about when he was like 18 or 19, he pulled up to a gas station in the middle of the night in the middle of L.A., And he looks across at the other car that's also filling up and it's just some badass muscle car and he sees Fred Williamson and Tarantino's like, oh my God, are you Fred Williamson? And he looked at him and kind of did like a little trigger finger with his hand and said, you got it. And then hopped in his car and and drove off. And of course then later on they would, they would work on like From Dusk Till Dawn And things like that But at yeah. this point Tarantino was just a giant Fred Williamson fan
1: Yeah, yeah And you know For me I've been a fan of his Since seeing him In From Dusk Till Dawn And then eventually Watching stuff like Black Caesar And Hammer. then uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah Warriors of the Wasteland Was uh, one I caught early When I started uh, Working in a video store And like really digging Through the horror And sci-fi sections And he's got a lot of movies is...
0: That you can't even Say the names Without getting thrown Off the internet Like from 19th 74 film it's boss in dash 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 and everybody knows what word I'm talking about but uh yeah he's like in mash me Fred Williamson he definitely deserves he deserves like a documentary all 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 to himself
1: oh agreed absolutely especially since you know right now he's just shown up in VFW which uh Joe Bagos is uh or yeah uh one of our uh wildest new directors uh putting out like this and then, uh, oh, my God, I, I love uh, his film Bliss, if you've seen it. I've not. Which met. I recommend it. And what's cool about it is when we were together doing the watch party for In Search of Tomorrow, watching The Blob, uh, Chet, who was with us, did a ton of artwork that's featured in that film. Nice. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's very much like a cross between, uh, if you know that one segment, from uh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, about James Remar, who's a failed painter, and he winds up becoming successful because a gargoyle shapeshifter enters his life, played by Radon Chong. Uh, It's a mix of that, that specific segment, with um, a little bit of, oh man, uh, Liquid Sky, and a little bit, just, just a hint, of uh, that one uh, insane early 80s exploitation film, Combat Shock, if... You've seen that one. Whereas uh, I those... yeah, yeah,
0: yeah you're, you're, you're totally out exploitation filming <laughs> me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's it's a downward spiral story for sure. And uh, I'm not going to spoil Combat Shock for you, but it's one of those um, no budget, just unbelievably brutal films that goes into surreal territory and becomes one of the most uh, upsetting and intense uh, stories of a, of a guy just spiraling out of control. I, I like the sound of all of the above. I, the closer get yeah, yeah, yeah. to the
0: abyss and the dark side, the, the, so, the happier I am.
1: So that's, the, that's the Joe Vegas plug.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Well, with Fred Williamson, one thing I've heard is that when, yes. you're, when he's working on these movies with Lucio Fulci or Enzo G. Castellari, any of these guys... Yeah. Yeah. Because he has directed low budget movies and because he's aware that every second you're burning money, apparently he's like one of the greatest allies a crew could ever hope for when it comes to acting. Because there are a lot of actors who are like, oh, I believe where's it. my trailer and where's my water? And like, we, we got. how are we going to make myself feel better? Blah, blah, blah. He's a, he's a team player. He gets it, and he gets his shit done. He, he he's a you know a zero drama kind of performer, and so I've never heard a bad story about any filmmakers working with him because he knows what's on the line. Because once you've been in the trenches producing and directing low budget movies, it just gives you a completely different perspective on the process.
1: Yeah, and I can totally see that. You know, even in his performances and just the way he delivers and his on screen bravado, he's one of those guys that whenever he shows up in something like this. I'm immediately going to watch it. It's yeah, gonna show make up, the watch hit your list. marks, yeah. deliver
0: your line. And I, totally. yeah, another one of my favorite sequences in here is this great scene where he's just going completely berserk on his own, having this like strobe light knife fight against multiple phones yeah. and these groovy tones. Yeah. I was like, fuck, yeah. I was like, this movie might be low budget, but it's got a little swagger. And one thing I liked about this is how because the budget is limited, I like how Fulci chooses to do a lot of the movie in these like really intense extreme close-ups because if you don't have a, a lot of money for set dressing or background, well, mm-hmm. get in on your actors faces, but it makes the movie have this kind of crazed intensity because you're you're up in the face of all the actors all the time. <laughs> but I thought that sequence was definitely one of the the high watermarks and I love how so much of this movie is shot through some sort of filter where everything's just very sparkly and kind of like everything's just kind of like it's very reflective and it just it creates this otherworldly environment it's just it's a great shortcut if you don't have the budget to create an otherworldly environment well then use whatever tricks you have at your disposal and I think Fulci definitely stylistically was still at the top of his game when it came to trying to cut some corners and bring this world to life
1: Yeah, uh, the DP on this was uh, Giuseppe Pinoli. I believe he worked with Fulci as well on um, Manhattan Baby, which is another one of my favorite Fulcis. That's kind of considered to be lesser uh, than like the Gates of Hell trilogy. It comes
0: at the end of that whole cycle of uh, of great horror flicks and everything, and so yeah, yeah, I I don't know if I would a
1: little overlooked along with Enigma. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the uh, the the look of this film, you know. It, it leans in heavily into its science fiction portrayal of Rome in the year 2072, just like you're saying with that little bit of haze that the the look of that always makes me think of burnt offerings where everything just kind of has that sort of shimmer, especially when you go into the outside uh, exterior shots of like the pool with the light glinting off of the water and everything just kind of being that sort of. Almost 70s TV-ish for you know certain shows, kind of look to it. But you're right. When we get to the interior shots, when we get to the sets, when we see the inside of the spaceship that's patrolling around the city, this giant sentry vehicle that's filled with government officials and people who run the TV shows, because this setting is the future of our world just ravaged by war after war after war. So people's only escape from that is to watch brutal deathmatch shows. Kill bike. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, that, that, and then, I mean, that's the best name for a show ever, Kill Bike. Or there's another one called Danger Game.
1: Yes, yes. Should we talk about like just how much uh, Fulci goes for it with the horror element in Danger Game? As his like big horror standout sequence of the film, yeah, it's like a, uh, it's,
0: it's the pit in the pendulum. It's you're in it's Edgar Allan Poe and Roger Corman territory.
1: Oh, I, I love it, and it reminds me of uh, some of like Fulci's best screams in any of his uh, horror films, where you get that you know rack focus, uh, crazy zoom in into the screaming like actress with her tin chil- uh, chin tilted up and going full force. Um, it, it totally reminds me of like, uh, the beyond and a handful of others, but then you get that just crazy practical effect where the pendulum goes through the neck Yep. and he goes for it. Yeah. He's still you know? Lucio Fulci at this point. His, yeah. His, his, yeah.
0: his powers as a horror director have not diminished.
1: And I, you know, I think really he put that in there as, and this is just, you know, speculation from a ideal standpoint, but where this sits in the film is like 10, 15 minutes in after we get the introduction of the world that we're in.
0: We're basically channel surfing through all these crazy shows and this is the one that they show us.
1: (laughs) Oh God, if only a sequence like this showed up in something like stay tuned with John Ritter and, uh, (laughs) really wound up going wild. But even that film has some crazy stuff in it. Um, but he's throwing this in here and he's saying, Hey, if you know me from the extreme stuff, here's one big one for you. And then the rest of the movie is going to be exploding motorcycles and people running into spikes and laser beams." Yeah. And it's, uh, so the, the laser beam effects, the optical effects on this are so much fun. Like I I love how he kept it brutal while being a a full on sci-fi action film. Because he he doesn't let up through the entire movie, and it's just so entertaining. So talking about horror, we just got a new cut of a horror sci-fi trailer that we have that'll be going out here in the next handful of days or so to be another one of the videos that we've been using for In Search of Tomorrow with the trailer montage with the uh, focus you know genre videos and the the horror. trailer is one that I'm really happy to see come together because it's got a lot of really fun films in there like you know, even some Toby Hooper stuff with uh, Invaders from Mars and then one of my all time favorites, Life Force. Extro.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, exactly. Life yeah, Force. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a, it's yeah. a weird thing where it's like there there are plenty of hybrid movies in the 80s that are just as comfortable in the horror genre as they are in the sci fi. Like, is the Fly a sci fi movie? 100%. Is it a fucking yeah. amazing horror movie? 100%. So, yeah, it's just yeah, a it there are a lot of a lot of these hybrid movies that are just a genre lover's delight.
1: Totally. Totally. But yeah, with, uh, you know, the the blend of horror and sci fi and where's the year 2072 and the new gladiators it's really really quick and then the hardcore horror is gone so everyone who's in it for that aspect of fulci gets a taste of it really early on but then later there's some interesting body horror stuff there's some pretty extreme scenes of uh One of the guys who does a home invasion uh, against the main character's wife uh, in the film, his face melts. Yep. Uh, And then uh, their best friend who winds up betraying him, this character named Monk, who looks like he had suffered an extreme uh, fireball to the face during one of the Gladiator games and survived because he has bionic eye implants. Yep. He winds up uh, getting pretty messed up. So for for anybody who wants to see some full body horror, you you get your share of that in this too.
0: 100%. I guess. I would never think of this movie as like kind of drifting into the horror genre just because of the theme song. The theme song is so oh, catchy yeah. and it's so upbeat. But um, is I, I, I'm gonna probably butcher the pronunciation, but uh, Riz Ortolani is he the uh, the composer yeah. who did the music? But
1: it's yeah. like Oscar-nominated Riz Ortolani for yeah. Mondo Cain and another one in the uh, in the '70s. Yeah,
0: nice. Well, anytime, I love his music. Yeah, anytime you hear the score, you're like, all right, it's t- this is like go to war music. This is like going into battle music because the movie transitions into kind of like a sci-fi hybrid of Sparta and ben-hur by the end with like chariot races and things like that and while it doesn't have the production value of the william Wyler film which is one of the most expensive and impressively mounted action sequences in movie history but i liked how in rome now when you go visit whether you're visiting the coliseum or i can't remember the name of the area where the chariot races used to be but the, mm. those areas where all these games used to be hosted you can still picture them exactly how they were because when you visit them they might look like a wasteland now, but you have all these like great diagrams and drawings that kind of help bring it to life. But I was like, this movie actually is doing a pretty good job of resurrecting the the gladiator spirit that is inherent in all these these historic landmarks in uh, in Rome. And yeah, I, I enjoyed the uh, the chariot race and how you have like an armed partner in your sidecar. So it's yeah, it's like I said, it's whether you're talking about Knight Riders or Ben Hur or whatever. I'm just amazed at how Lucio Fulci was able to stretch his budget and get some pretty mm-hmm. cool action sequences. When you can tell he was not working with like you know vast reservoirs of cash. he had not run a yeah. crowdfunding campaign as successful <laughs> as In Search of Tomorrow.
1: Well, I think I think I, I agree with uh, Antonella Fulci, uh, who did a little interview for the Troma release for this. That there's no way uh, this movie would get made like the way it was. Uh, back when, you know they were doing this in, in the early 80s. Uh, and I, I would love to put a campaign together for people who want to see a film like new gladiators get produced, where you have just basically a giant arena roller rink setup deal filled with sand. And a dozen motorcycles just riding around with practical explosions and dummy effects and all this other fun stuff because I eat this stuff up. Like I yeah. absolutely love people getting how beheaded driving those...
0: under cables and shit like that.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. And the one dude who's uh, doing the joust where he's on his motorcycle and he's got, you know, his uh, jousting lance and he's just going for it. And one of the uh, opposing guys flies past him, and he just runs straight into a wall of spikes, and the helmet goes flying off. You know that that kind of stuff, I, I eat up. I absolutely love it. Every explosion in this movie just makes me smile. It's so much fun.
0: What has happened to the motorcycle genre in movies? Because I feel like from the late '60s with like Wild Angels and things like that, up through the early '80s, we had a lot of yeah. motorcycle movies, and they kind of don't even exist anymore. But obviously, biking culture. Is still alive and well. People still ride motorcycles, but it seems like people were fascinated by motorcycles. I guess every once in a while you'll see it like in in a Marvel movie. It's like Black Widow riding a motorcycle like in Avengers Age of Ultron, but you don't really get biker movies at all anymore. I feel like if you're a biker enthusiast, this is one of those movies where you could kind of get into the spirit of things. There's a lot of mohawks and a lot of crazy armor, and it's just got that Hell's Angels couple uh, culture in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, I, I was watching uh, a great old uh, movie called Stone from oh, yeah, yeah, the Australian Australia. genre film.
0: Yeah, yeah, they talk about quite yeah. a bit in uh, Not Quite Hollywood.
1: Yeah, it's like so they, good. The, the
0: funeral on motorcycles.
1: Yep, yep, where you've got the sidecar that's a coffin. It's amazing. And uh, if I remember right, that was the biggest uh, filmed sequence of the most motorcycles that have ever been in a single film at one time. Just you know, unbelievable.
0: Was it Grant Majors, who is the big stuntman celebrity that was a part of that? They talk about him quite a bit in Stone or in uh, Not Quite Hollywood. Just the craziest fucking shit that he was that he was willing to do. But I believe he was hang on, let me, I, I've got, I'll cut well, out this flying
1: little... off the uh, cliffside into the water and uh, yeah, absolutely. all the other. Yeah.
0: And like there was a guy, he got completely knocked, like completely, totally unconscious, woke up black and blue. But in the documentary here the stunt, like, Oh, but it was a great shot and I'm glad we did it and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But yeah, the, like the all right, stone, 1974, bam, bam, now, was bam. Was he the same dude
1: who did the triple flip in the uh, road warrior? Cause that's one of the most insane stunts gone wrong. That's ever been captured and left in a movie. That, it's unbelievable.
0: Th- th- that I don't know. I, I, Cause I, I need to revisit that documentary. It's one, one of my all time favorite I documentaries Broadway, about, about film yeah. history. But I'm trying to confirm whether Grant Majors was a part of Stone. In any event, if you like yeah. st- motorcycles and you like stunts, then Stone is absolutely 100% well worth hunting down. All right, so I just found that uh, the stunt department is Peter Armstrong, Craig K. Brown, Hamish Cameron, and Brian Martins. So I'm not seeing it. Grant Majors might have been part of some of the other uh, flicks that they mentioned in that documentary. But yeah, Stone is one of those Tarantino favorites. He's obsessed.
1: Totally. Well, you know, it's funny, uh, not too many people are still going with that specific subgenre, but uh, Tarantino did have a role, I think, as a producer for Hellride, which came out in, I think, 06, and didn't land. Um, had, you know, a great cast, uh, pretty solid fun, uh, sort of that, that kind of plot that they really went for in another 48 hours. Okay. Where you've got like the the bikers in the desert, the uh, crime element. Um, another just amazing one from the early '90s that I'm a huge fan of is Stone Cold. That's got uh, Lance Henriksen in it. Uh, the Boz is in that one. Um, oh man, I think uh, William Forsythe and just so many others as an awesome biker gang uh, movie where you have that police detective plant trying to, you know, uh, infiltrate the group. So it's, it's very much the same sort of plot as a stone, but they, they go for it with full nineties bravado. I don't know I don't know if anybody's doing stuff like that right now but damn if I wouldn't love to see it I think the only movie in the last decade and these weren't motorcycles
0: but the only movie in the last decade that's really captured that kind of hell raising like car car culture would be Mad mm. Max Fury Road where it just had yeah. that kind of like apocalyptic spirit because while the Fast and Furious well, movies well George movies Miller do, I mean yeah but the Fast know. and Furious movies do a lot of things with cars and motorcycles but because they're more like Avengers movies now you're just not as invested like when I saw Hobbs and Shaw and you've got you know people doing like Motorcycle stunts, like sliding under trucks and that sort of thing, but it's like they've they have veered into superheroes, and so they just Mm -hmm. they no longer feel grounded in any sort of reality. Whereas, like George Miller and a lot of these other great motorcycle movies and car movies, you always feel like there's like like the stunt guys are one second away from losing their lives making these (sighs) movies.
1: Oh man, the stuff they made uh, Tom Hardy go through with uh, Fury Road and uh, Charlize too. I mean. When yeah. that came out, it was not a fun I, movie for them to shoot. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember uh, that film landing. Um, what was that? 2011, 2010? Fury Road.
0: Yeah, uh, two thousand fifteen. Oh, it was fifteen. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It, it came out the because sp- it came out the spring after we had created Wrong Real. We created Wrong Real in the fall of two thousand fourteen.
1: Yeah, I, I was trying to think of when I was living in South Korea, and for some reason, I was off by half a decade. But it only came to the theater that was near my place uh, for a limited two-week run, and I watched it every night that it played. So I got to see it thirteen times in two weeks, and Very it was nice. one that you know I, I still uh, look back on as those couple of weeks were just fucking amazing. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, I. I I love that kind of grounded action where you've got guys pulling off these stunts that unless they have full control could go horribly wrong at any second. But then you get that just straight line cut to a dummy exploding in a fireball on a bed of spikes. Like that, that stuff just, you know, it it always cracks me up in any film, even in like, Shocking Dark, Terminator 2. There's a sequence where a villain character gets thrown over the classic uh, handrail and immediately in the reverse shot becomes a dummy. Falling to its death. And I just, I love that stuff. Yeah. You shocking know, it always, we, we
0: tackled that. Yeah. Is that that's, that's Bruno Mattei, correct?
1: Yeah. I, I believe that is Bruno Mattei. Yeah. yeah,
0: Matei. yeah. We, we tackled that in the episode we did with uh, Mackenzie Lambert on wrong real, like a year or so ago. I'd never even heard of Bruno Mattei and he recommended mm. him. And you, we, you go from like the craziest, darkest, fringiest of the fringiest of the fringe, like, Nazi exploitation flicks in the 70s up through these wild oh, unofficial sequels and remakes of, you know, Predator and Robocop and like every single popular 80s movie that's being explored in In Search of Tomorrow Bruno Mattei either made remakes or unofficial sequels to or just hybrid films where he would just kind of throw, throw, throw them all together.
1: <laughs> Same thing with uh, Jody Amato, totally, where these guys just had no reservations. They would tackle the most taboo subjects. They would get into the most, uh, you know, reprehensible and uh, immoral stuff. Um, and, you know, even Fulci uh, went there with a few things, uh, but see, seeing him like just totally dig in his heels here with this stuff that, you know, has partial inspiration coming from A Clockwork Orange, coming from Logan's Run, even coming from uh, zero population growth. If you've seen that one, with, uh, nah, nah, uh, but I love like the clock, but the
0: Clockwork Orange reference. It reminds me one of the best scenes is when they're trying yeah. to basically convert this guy into being a uh, a, a gladiator. A and, like, yeah, you get like the <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, well. like the big theme music when he picks up the gun for the first yeah. time, and yeah, they're basically breeding <laughs> these super gladiators. Like, uh, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of really really cool beats. Like, I would never say hey if you're a fan of uh, like Escape from New York, then like new, new Gladiators is right up there alongside it. Like, I, I'm not going to make that yeah. kind of claim, but when you the reason you watch exploitation films and the reason you watch Grindhouse films is not because you're expecting a perfect movie from start to finish. You watch them for these scenes that you would never see in a conventional film. And that's the reward of watching these movies. Like the production value and pacing might be uneven, but every once in a while you'll stumble across a scene where the music and the outrageous content, they just come together and you're like, all right, now I get it. Cause I'm getting to see something truly taboo breaking that I would never see in a Hollywood film. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I, I love that guitar riff from Rizzarlanu. It's so good and it's so catchy. And then there's also like the trumpeting fanfare that backs it up. So you've got this blend of like rock mixed with the uh, music that you would hear at the gladiatorial games. And it, it's just an earworm, but it's it's such a big motif in the film where it signals, you know, the action is about to begin. And uh, some of the quotes in the movie too even just make me laugh thinking about them and are making me smile. Like the the big final battle sequence where everything comes together, the plot has been developed. We now know that the government uh, forces. Are going to essentially kill all the gladiators. <laughs> 20
0: minutes of the battle. <laughs> Yeah, just gonna wipe everybody out.
1: Yeah, it's the last 25 minutes of the movie and it's just huge and it's incredible. And it's called The Battle of the Damned and it's divided into two sections where you've got the first part where everybody's just going at it it's free in for a free all. for all. Yeah. 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 And then part two is the giant Ben Hur. Uh, riding around the ring with the guy in the sidecar who's got a weapon and the guy on the bike who's controlling. And, oh man, I, I love seeing all of their different uh, getups where you've got their names across their shirt. You've got Drake, you've got Akira, you've got Ogre. Everyone's from their own individual section of the world. There's you know, Pan-Asia listed, the Americas, all this other stuff. But the, the way that it all comes together just cracks me up and I, I absolutely love it and uh, it's it's just a, a total blast. The, the line is take a good look at all of these men for violent death is only seconds away or something like that and it's just too funny the the way that this film takes itself so seriously it's that it's that kind of perfect that's what's missing uh, in a lot focus, of times
0: yeah. people try to make movies that are like an homage to exploitation films or drive-in movies or whatever but what they always forget is that all these grindhouse classics were made with total sincerity And if they they make, and if they make mistakes, it becomes part of the charm. But people now make these like tongue-in-cheek, kind of ironic, snarky versions. And the reason they don't become what they're aspiring to be is because they don't get that. Whether you're talking about Jack Hill films or Mm -hmm. any great grindhouse director, (laughs) Spider Baby, yeah, they were making these movies (laughs) with as much power and sincerity as humanly possible. And it's why they work in a lot of ways, in spite of a lot of their budgetary shortcomings, shortcomings. and yeah. so I, I I miss that era. I, I just think you always need to have a thriving, down and dirty, low budget genre scene. And 99, 999 out of a thousand of them will be unwatchable and immediately discarded and forgotten. But then you'll have these gems. And it's why Lucio Fulci, here he is. He's probably bigger in 2020 than at any point in his career, because now people can look at his, you know, career of how many, 60 fucking movies. And are they yeah. all created equal? No. Are they all worth watching? Probably not. But probably 20 or 30 of them are well worth hunting down, and it's just like every conceivable genre imaginable.
1: Oh, totally, and you know, when you go deep into Fulci's filmography, and you start connecting with different character actors who pop up, and just, you know, get that love for his style, and his team that he would put together, like, from Fulci I've become such a big fan of Fabio Fritzi's music, that, you know, just for, a Sunday morning getting up and doing stuff around the house, I'll put on the Beyond score. And enjoy that for the entire day. That was the first then, film
0: I ever saw. There was a, it was re released either yeah. summer ninety seven or summer ninety eight by um, Rolling Thun, or Tarantino's Rolling Tarantino. Thunder Pension. Yeah, and so I went he to had the, that at the L- New Beverly. Yeah, I, I saw it at the uh, the Lamley Sunset Five that summer. It was a midnight screening and in that yeah. little mall area in LA where like the Lamley Sunset Five, I don't even know if the Lamley Sunset Five even exists anymore, but it was this giant line of just maniacs out I was like
1: whoa
0: yeah and I was I was high as balls and I went in and saw this movie and just...
1: I saw the newspaper ad for that I, I wasn't able to go and it killed me yeah and it, I had the uh me. yeah yeah the the first fango I ever bought had the beyond on the cover and it was the huge feature about Tarantino re-releasing it so that that's what you know spurned my interest in Fulci was that release you know and I'm just thankful as hell that he brought it to the States for us because since then it being almost 25 years, Fulci has now become more internationally renowned than he even is still in Italy. Absolutely. from You know, just fans of him saying, Hey, nobody remembers him here, but everybody in the States and around the rest of the world I is like, yeah, was like one of the he's
0: best. starting to, and it, it's probably not fair to say he's eclipsing, but I feel like he's becoming more popular, perhaps than Argento. Like everybody talks about the and Argento has so many great flicks like Opera and uh, Profondo Phenomena, Rosso, and yeah, and like he and has so many good ones. But yeah. for whatever reason, people talk about Fulci. I guess if. I haven't done any like statistical analysis, but it'd be interesting to see just on Twitter who gets mentioned more frequently, Argento or Fulci. But in the, like, the 90s, I feel like Argento's reputation was ironclad and secure, and Fulci was just kind of being rediscovered. So maybe that's part of it, is that people always love to discover what seems neglected and so everybody wants to be like I I was there first I helped rediscover this but the sad reality is about this movie is that it was actually the last time that Saketti and Fulci would work together and I'm reading right here on on IMDb Trivia that Fulci claimed that Saketti had stolen an idea for a film to be titled Evil Comes Back. Saketti denied mm. these allegations, stating that Fulci was originally excited over his stress and had it read to a producer who commissioned him for a script. The film would later be made with Lamberto Bava under the title mm. Until Death. But while Fulci kept working, health problems and a few flops, like everything after this, I mean, Murder Rock came around the same time, which I I really enjoy Murder Rock. It's just a a giant disaster. Yeah, that one's a lot of fun. Yeah, and then Devil's Honey (laughs) two years later. But you start to see the movie starting to decline. And there's bits like in Zombie 3 which are interesting. And I think Zombie 3 was actually finished. He was only able to do half of it. And then he handed
1: over to uh, Claudio Fagasso.
0: Yeah, and and as well as uh, Bruno Mattei, who was also uncredited on it. And so sadly we're seeing kind oh, of like the end four. of Lucio Fulci's career here with new gladiators. I guess the last one that I saw is a cat in the brain from 1990 and I, yeah. I enjoyed it, but it's, it's not up there with like his, his, his best stuff.
1: Yeah. He, he had a couple of ones that, you know, I have fondness for, uh, Demonia is one that I think is one of those great, uh, European, Italian, um, non exploitation horror films. Yep. I, I would definitely put it up there with like, uh, dark water And uh, a couple of others. But um, it's a shame, too, because he had an amazing run. And, you know, this one, I think it's special because it's unique. It's just so tightly paced. I mean, it's an hour and 29 minutes of, like, one beat after another that even in the lulling segments where you get exposition and the development of what the whole leading up to the big conflict at the end plot is where we find out that this big brother character that's been showing up on screens and instructing everyone to get ratings by killing criminals is actually a satellite up in orbit called Sam as an artificial intelligence uh, being that supposedly has a soul um, and it's built by a very much mother and how sort of uh, hybrid program called junior Nice. Uh, you know there, there's there's all this stuff going on and it's just like if you're into hardcore smart sci-fi there's a ridiculous element of that in here if you're into uh, the kind of crazy dystopian uh, television show, you know, game stuff that's shown in, uh, man, The Running Man, which I, I think this makes a perfect double bill with yep. for like a grindhouse audience. Like, if you want to put The Running Man on at 10 o'clock and then you want this to be a midnight movie, it's a great time. My biggest thing, I wish, I really, really wish I could see this on like a 35 print or in like a high def transfer. Because I feel like getting the full frame of what Fulci shot here, instead of just the the standard uh, cut that's been pushed out. Yeah, of I mean of the, the version transfer, on fucking Amazon you know?
0: is a is like basically like a pan and scan Academy ratio, shitty, yeah. shitty full screen DVD it transfer from like two thousand one. But. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people that's, I mean, there are a lot of people out there like, well, I'll only watch a movie if it's on Blu-ray. It's like, oh, well, then you're going to miss a lot of great stuff. Like on Pure Cinema Podcast recently, Tarantino was on there and he was kind of taking some of them to task for the fact that they are such purists about format. He's like, look, he's like, I will watch like a bootleg VHS if that's the only way that I can see
1: it. So I feel like. See, that's what I'm saying. Absolutely. Watch this however you can, even if the transfer is five times removed off of copied tapes. Yeah. You know. But the the thing that I would love to see is the the clarity of what the you know original uh print and the original transfers onto other 35 reels would be. But hell, I'll pop in the trauma DVD of this and sit through the Lloyd Kaufman intro any day.
0: Does it hurt you that Fulci was not able to make the sequel Blast Fighter which was part of his original two picture deal
1: for this? I wish. I wish. I okay. I've heard about it. I don't know what the plot of it was supposed to be. The idea of it being called Blast Fighter just makes me want it even more. Well, the what you film got that?
0: made, but it wasn't the actual Blast Like the, the title of the film eventually got sold, but not the script. And yep. <laughs> so said, All right, well, we don't we don't want your fucking <laughs> shitty story, but we love the title. We're going to go make Blast Fighter.
1: We, we already got key art ready for it. So. Yeah. It sounds like a great yeah. early,
0: early 80s arcade game.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, it, it's... Something that I uh, I I think on its own, Warriors of uh, 2072 is great. By itself, like I'm struggling with this because I would have loved to have seen him do a couple more like this just because I find this movie to be so entertaining. But if this is all we got, I'm happy with it.
0: I feel like also if you want to see a great Lucio Fulci double bill, this with Conquest would be good because one's fantasy versus sci-fi. And I just feel like both movies are compromise in certain ways, but they both have their their great moments to make them well worth hunting down. And Conquest also is one of the coolest movie posters ever conceived by a human being. But if all you've ever seen yeah. is Lucio Fulci's horror movies and you want to see him tackle some other genres, watch Conquest and mm-hmm. uh, Warriors of... Uh, well, I'm just going to call it New Gladiators because <laughs> the rest is kind
1: of a mouthful... <laughs> But man, warriors I'm, of rome the year 2072 but i do the love Hedway. Hedway. <laughs> he was
0: such a genre hyper <laughs> hopper like for the apocalypse really cool western
1: oh, and that western's amazing
0: and you've got like yeah. his, his uh his late 60s stuff what is the uh, one on top of the other which was mm. uh recently restored and uh, re-released and it's got a it's got a couple different titles but that's now more readily available but it stars the great uh, marissa mel who's hot mm-hmm. as hades but yeah, Lucio Fulci, I never get <laughs> I never get tired of watching his movies. I feel like now I'm starting to get close to having seen all the essentials, but he's still yeah. Got, yeah. I, I've never seen anything earlier than like 1968, so I'm sure there are a few gems tucked away in his films from the 60s as well.
1: Yeah, I think you can see his first uh, short feature that he did, which I believe was a documentary of uh, a documentary short, fine 1948.
0: art 1948. Yeah, Una Unazione yeah. di Sistema con Fulvio Bernardini.
1: Lots, lots of close ups on fine art and some uh, establishing shots of museums and that with a uh, voiceover narration. And I've never seen it in uh, uh, English subtitle, but it's out there. Um, The Psychic. Is another one as well. I think with uh, Jennifer O'Neill, yeah. that's really and the theme really song good.
0: during the opening credits makes my heart sore every time I hear yeah. it. I absolutely love and adore it. Well, let's start. Shipping, the black
1: cat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's start shifting back
0: toward In Search of Tomorrow. <laughs> yes. What are some of the cool, obscure genre sci-fi classics that you can confirm? Because I know there's a giant list at the mm-hmm. end of the trailer. What are some of the great ones that are going to be included in the overall discussion in this documentary?
1: Oh, I'm just, you know, saying straight up extra. I I love the fact that we were able to get the film to be featured in the discussion as we get through all the different years uh, of 80s sci-fi. We're going to be covering, you know, the big hits and a lot of the lesser knowns and a lot of the ones that, you know, we grew up loving that were on cable But uh, having Extro be one of the featured films is definitely one of my biggest uh, favorites and to me kind of a personal win. I've been championing that one since day one when we started developing this and it's one of my hands-down all-time favorites And
0: What about uh, who are your some of your favorite gets in terms of commentators and uh, Actors and directors that have been uh, confirmed to be I'm going through your Kickstarter page right now And it's just this giant laundry list of filmmakers and actors and yeah, like Clarence Boddicker himself is uh, being included So who are some of the people you're excited about to see included in the documentary?
1: Oh, you know, I I couldn't be happier that we got Clancy Brown um, on board. because The Kurgan himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's in Buckaroo Banzai. He's in The Bride uh, (laughs) playing the monster, which uh, is still one of my favorites. Um, You know, it's got uh, Sting in there, and uh, it's often looked at as a a more lesser uh, genre entry from the era, but talking to him a couple of years ago when he was doing a film, uh, super, uh, con, he was playing a really fun character in this, you know, sort of comedy convention, uh, heist film setting. And while we were talking, he went into hardcore sci-fi fan territory with me talking about literature. He loves talking about, Some of his favorite writers going into detail about the Foundation series, talking about Philip K. Dick. I read the first three
0: Foundation books, but I know that the series kept going beyond that.
1: Mm. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about uh, Frank Herbert. We talked about a ton of stuff. And uh, even in the discussion, I was like, how did it feel to be in Starship Troopers? And his reaction to that was, hell yeah, are you kidding me? Turn down Starship Troopers? Who would do that? Uh, when he shows up as Zim and winds up being the, the hero of the film at the end. Absolutely. You know, no, it's, it's, it's a so great great.
0: great moment. And I love when he throws the knife into the hand of the cadet and I mean, yeah, yeah it just it's, it's it's a it's a great role. Yeah, Starship Troopers is one of those movies that man, it flopped when it came out, but it's definitely found its audience over time and it's one of those, I love well, how with Paul Verhoeven's films you can never quite tell. Helven. Yeah, you can never quite tell if his movies are like anti-fascist or pro-fascist or a little bit of both and I, but when it come, people these days are so i guess binary in their thinking when it comes to politics and i like how Paul Verhoeven loves being a bit of an enigma where you're like he's in a camp all by himself and that's what makes his movies withstand the test of time he's not making propaganda he's not like checking off like like talking points for a certain camp he's got his own perspective on the world and that's why his movies like RoboCop and Starship Troopers and Total Recall are so fascinating decades after the
1: fact yeah, yeah. It it oh man, it kills me that uh Total Recall won't be one of the featured films that we discuss in in search correct? of tomorrow. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. It was actually uh you know, one of my first uh movie posters uh that I was looking at in the theater. Well, mathematically
0: I think, that technically I just immediately loved,
1: you know. Is should be in the movie in 1980 should be excluded. Like
0: if you want to be a true like hardcore math freak, it would be 1981 to 1990. That would be the decade. But I feel like uh,
1: discussions about production versus release. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but I feel like if you want to just, (laughs) but if you want to avoid all those discussions, just make it 80 to 89, and you've got you've got a a giant just treasure trove of killer flicks to uh, to choose from. So yeah, so I can't wait to see what trailers y'all have cooking in the oven. I love the fact that you're gonna be doing all these kind of days where you do. Like flashback shout outs to classic movies. I just, I love how y'all have found a way to come up with a variety of ways to continue to make people aware of the campaign throughout the life cycle of the campaign.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. We have just incredible uh, people who have now become a part of our team, uh, you included as an affiliate with us being able to see you be a part of this by joining us for events by putting out awesome videos, by inviting us on the show. And yeah, the partnerships that we've created are amazing. The work that's being put out by everybody, like we have this incredible work coming from alternative movie posters right now with so many, so many great uh Hand painted and you know computer uh, painted key art uh, versions of some of our favorite films, and it's just awesome. But you're you're totally you know talking about one of the best things about this because it's all part of the huge community, because we're getting the fans and the backers together with all the people that are the creators to eventually lead up to when this gets released. And we're seeing people like Paul Verhoeven, like Nancy Allen, like Jeanette Goldstein, like uh, Joe Dante, like uh, Bill Duke. Uh, Ernie Hudson is going to be on board talking about space hunter, which I just can't believe uh, We were able to you know go there and also well, so you, you
0: roped in one of my favorite gaming channels James roll from James roll from cinema. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm, he Was I, with us for in search of darkness. Yeah, I never watch his movie reviews, but I always watch his gaming reviews I've watched like probably hundred and fifty of his gaming <laughs> reviews Just like what, <laughs> the playing like old-school yeah. NES games and things like that But yes, yeah, he, he's been his channel's been around for like a decade at this point, but uh-huh. I, I, he's a, yeah. a, a delightful user YouTube Persona
1: oh, yeah, totally and you know if you want to dig into some of his movie stuff He's done some amazing uh, series over the years around Halloween time when he will feature different horror films some being the more popular some being the more obscure and really do good video essays on them which Just gives him all the more credibility as being you know another one of the genre guys and having him back for in search of tomorrow You know, it's it's just the best because he's right in there with us as fans of horror fans of sci-fi fans of games Fans of the the entire uh, spectrum of everything. Well, let's uh, provide
0: some vital yeah. information in terms of social media, websites, dates, etc. So, give us yeah, like the Kickstarter address or where people can find it. Where can people find you on Facebook and Twitter? What are kind of the cutoffs and also some of the dates that people can look forward to in terms of screenings, possible release dates, etc. So now's the time for the, the deep dive into all the the nuts and bolts. What people need to know, and I'll include it all in the show notes as well. But just yeah, so people can yeah. hear it from you.
1: Awesome. All right. Uh, The biggest thing that you need to know is 80sSciFiDoc.com. That is our hub site that goes directly to the Kickstarter right now. The Kickstarter launched just a couple of days ago, and it is going through to May 17th. And what we have going on during this campaign, we have a screening coming up of aliens with another one of our friends from the channel Alien Theory. He's going to be on as the subject matter expert talking as a special guest just like you were for The Blob where we'll be watching the special edition of Aliens on Alien Day and then the weekend after that we're going to be watching Star Trek 4 which you know everybody loves uh, the voyage home so it's going to be a a good time and uh, we have a great guest on board for that Uh, Dayton Ward will be with us. The next one right after that is going to be Star Wars Day. So we're going to be watching Empire Strikes Back as a group. And the week after that, uh, we are looking at a toss-up between possibly RoboCop or, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards maybe uh, wanting to throw Blade Runner out there. Um, we want to end you know with one of the biggest and best. If we were going to do Blade Runner, what... Version, do you think would would play the best to Ooh. the uh, to the group? You know? And and I'm going to stick to the, the three I always horror versions. Toward so I'm not v- going to... Yeah, I lean
0: toward the first version that I saw, which was the director's cut from, like, 91 or 92. Because that's how... Yeah. You always fall in love with, like, your first exposure. Like, I know when Guillermo del Toro talks about it. He likes the original theatrical. He's like, I need that voiceover. And I'm like, Ugh, I don't want the voiceover at all. <laughs> I really like the early 90s director's cut that I saw. And I know there have been a lot of different versions. But I think yeah. it all boils down to what made you fall in love with it in the first place. But... I would go with I would go with any version that's from early '90s Ford. I would not show the theatrical. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of where I lean. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the old uh, DVD release, the the snap case of the uh, '92 I quote director's cut version that Ridley Scott still says he had nothing to do with uh, directly, maybe tangentially. I don't know, but um, I think for me, uh, I love the final cut. But that one is my second pick. Although, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see when we get there. But every Sunday, we're doing these. Um, every week, we are pushing out uh, more fun stuff uh, for the campaign. Just, you know, different posters, different content, different casting announcements, uh, which have been great. We just announced... That John Carpenter is back for In Search of Tomorrow. Um, We announced uh, Jeanette Goldstein. We announced Joe Dante today. Uh, We'll be doing a fun post about Vernon Wells, who is one of my uh, all-time favorite that guys. And uh, talking about the, the bridge between 80s and 90s. We're not getting there yet. But... We'll see, is what I'm saying. So, for all of the films released in 1990 that everyone says, oh, that should be in the 80s, we'll see about them getting mentioned. But when we actually do a full deep dive focus and put them into an encyclopedic feature like we've been doing, yeah, you might want we'll, to save them for your uh, we'll, 90s We'll get sci-fi. there when we yeah. get there. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. I mean, there, no spoilers. The
0: 90s, <laughs> the 90s nostalgia craze is coming, and, and oh, there are yeah. signs that it's already here. But the, I think. We have spent more time celebrating the 80s now than we actually spent in the 80s, and I feel like people are gonna <laughs> wanna talk about 90s gangster films, or 90s indie films, or 90s whatever, and I feel like, yeah, the 90s sci-fi uh, is gonna come, it's, it, the wave is coming, where you're gonna see kids who are 15, 16 years old talking about how cool the 90s were and how jealous they are of people who grew up in the 90s, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah a, it, it, is a, it is an inevitability. Well, where can people find you personally online if they wanna talk more about sci-fi, or the campaign, or whatever the case might be?
1: Yeah, well, um, I'm posting uh, marketing and uh, everything all the time on the 80s sci-fi doc feeds. Um, My team has been just unbelievable with what we've been creating for videos and graphics and everything. Uh, For me personally, you can find me at Mr. Andrew Hawkins across social media. Um, For my podcast that we're still doing, um, Freaky Fandoms, that's out there. You can download on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google, wherever. And the big focus of all of my efforts is 100% in search of tomorrow right now because what we want to do is we want to have the biggest year possible until we drop this next summer. So until we do our release like I would say here in about 12-15 months, we will be constantly active, we'll just be adding more people to the fold, we'll be extending the running time, we'll be uh, getting all of the ins and outs of the film produced and completed. Uh, For all of the amazing uh, interviews we've done so far, I think, you know, I, I can't pick favorites, but I love the fact that we've already had our conversations with... Oh man. Uh, Paul Verhoeven, Shane Black, Bill Duke, Sean Young. I nice. love the fact that she has joined us to talk about Rachel and also to Einhorn talk herself. about June. <laughs> yep. 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 So Finkel yes, is it's... Einhorn. <laughs>
0: Einhorn is Finkel.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see if we, uh, not anything to, uh, some Ace Ventura, who knows, but, uh, I'm not going to say we're not going to have a little disconnect there because... Pretty sure you know you're, you're gonna see some uh, Earth Girls Are Easy in this movie. Nice, just yeah. gonna be great. yeah.
0: I haven't seen that movie since I was like 18 or 19. I saw it on VHS back in the day, but thoroughly enjoyed yeah. it. Well, I hope you know that yeah. when it comes to Wrong Reel, my YouTube channel, my door is always open anytime. I will roll out the red carpet for anybody that wants to promote awesome. the project, and I hope this will be the awesome. first of many appearances on Wrong Reel by Hawk the Slayer,
1: Andrew Hawkins. Yeah. Yeah, man, this has been an absolute blast. Uh, just like we've talked about, you know, we can't wait to have you back on our watch parties for In Search of Tomorrow. Um, maybe we can uh, sit down and. As a, as a huge community we can uh, all watch My Stepmother as an Alien we'll see
0: very nice excellent well we hope you all have enjoyed this episode <laughs> check out the show notes for the episode you'll see a link to the Kickstarter campaign and where you can follow Andrew as well as the film on social media but we hope you all have enjoyed this episode hope you will enjoy In Search of Tomorrow definitely check out the trailer You will, it'll give you goosebumps up and down your arms and legs but once again great getting to talk to you Andrew really appreciate it but more importantly as always onwards and upwards
1: it ain't like it used to be but uh... It'll do you know how to whistle don't you steve you just put your lips together and blow